Welcome to the Tangled Mind Podcast, a place where every week you can sit back, relax and listen to what the good people from all around the world are doing for others that are suffering with mental health and their own struggles. Welcome back to another episode of the Tangled Mind Podcast. Today on the show we've got Lisa Brady-Brown, aka Mom. She's going to be talking to us about our family journey and what it is she does. So here goes. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. So obviously for the listeners that don't know who you are, do you want to just introduce yourself and obviously tell them who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, so obviously I'm Michael's mum, Lisa, and I started last March a Facebook page called Family Mental Health Support UK which um, was made on the back of me not being able to find help for myself and our family when your dad was not very well, Matthew. And so over the months last year, it changed and became Beyond the Yellow Brick Road. There is a story behind that. I can explain that later if you want. But yeah, so um, it's all about helping and supporting the family members of the person that has a mental illness And selfishly, I created it because I couldn't find anybody in this country to speak to who I could relate to because they were experiencing the same thing. So that's why I did it. For those that do know, obviously mental health is a massive part of our lives. Obviously with dad and everything else, when did you start to notice things were changing? Well, me and your dad had been together a couple of years when he started to become unwell. His moods just changed. He was tearful. And obviously now I know what the signs are, but back then I didn't realise. And I'd always been told that if somebody was going to attempt to end their life, then they don't tend to tell you or talk about it. So because he'd said to me that he felt suicidal, I kind of dismissed it. And obviously I didn't realise that he was serious. And he was only 28 at the time. He'd started to talk about us writing books to give to you kids when we'd passed away that sort of our life story, if you like, from from that moment onwards. And I wrote mine um, very much as I was living it, as I was writing it. Obviously, afterwards with Dad, when he did attempt to take his life, then it became apparent he'd written it as if he was already no longer here. So he'd been planning this for a long time. It's just that obviously he didn't have the courage to actually say that, but he did give me an idea that he was thinking bad stuff about doing to himself, but I just didn't really understand or or believe it, if I'm honest. But And again, the first time he tried to end his life, even a couple of weeks later, we still went out downtown and got drunk and he tried to do it again and it wasn't until after that that I realised how serious this was when he was hospitalised and then obviously I spent the rest of the years between that being very frightened and scared and wanting to protect him and have him around all the time so I could make sure he was safe and then obviously he was well for a long time but then it came back again in 2015. When it first initially started to come out of the woodwork, shall we say, that, that he was 
you're feeling that way. It, it must have been hard for you, obviously, being his girlfriend at the time, because you hadn't been together that long. It must have been hard for you to, to grasp what Yeah, was it was, on. because, you know, I'd grown up with a mum suffering with agoraphobia and panic attacks and anxiety and depression and all of that. And mum had always said mm. she was going to kill herself many times. And she never did. And it was always something that was just said. So I really didn't believe that, that he would, if I'm honest. And at that point, I was, I don't know, 25, I think. And, you know, when you're younger, you you tend to, I think you, you, you think things differently. You think you're immortal, things, you know, life goes on forever and ever. And the older you get, the more you realise that that isn't the truth. And and obviously, with experience and time and doing all this again, I mean, even now, I've adapted and changed again in the last year or so from Dad's illness because I'm learning all the time that sometimes the way I react to things actually feeds it and makes it worse. Now, that obviously can be really hard for your dad because yeah. your dad expects me to react a certain way, but I know that actually it's a negative thing. So it can come across like I'm being quite mean, but I'm not being mean. I'm trying to help him break that cycle of whatever it is that's happening at that moment. But going back to how it was before, I think being young and naive helped. But then afterwards, the fear set in of how bad it actually was and what was happening. And I think it really hit me when he went to hospital. Because then when he went into the hospital and I saw... What I saw at that moment was people that were psychotic patients in there. There was all sorts of stuff that I'd never been privy to before. And I saw it and I couldn't understand why he was even in that kind of environment. Because on the outside, he was fine. But obviously on the inside, he wasn't. And to be in a hospital with people who, in my mind, were losing their mind... I'd never realised that your dad was going through and suffering the same things because he kind of hid it. So, yeah, so it, it's it's changed over the years. But back then it was, it took a while for it to sink in. Going back to when, obviously, we were younger and everything else, in my first episode, obviously, uh, I touched a little bit on when he attempted to take his own ice and obviously we had to get PC Darren White out and things like that. Did you have any idea of what was going off beforehand? Or was that out of the blue? No, it was out of the blue. And it came about because I'd been trying to stop smoking. And I had said to him that I knew that he'd been lying and been smoking. And obviously, he didn't like the fact that I knew that. And I think it was just a trigger. Now, obviously, I didn't even know what the word trigger meant then. You know, to me, trigger was a trigger on a gun sort of thing. You know, I, I never, in all of the words that, that you, you hear of now, I mean, I didn't realise that that me saying that was enough to tip him over the edge. And it mm. was out of the blue. And I was just reacting like a normal girlfriend to being lied to that you would. Couldn't understand why he lied to me because he didn't need to lie to me because I wasn't bothered that he had his, you know, cigarette. But obviously to him, he felt stupid. He felt ridiculous. He'd, he couldn't stop himself from smoking so he lied and then he felt bad for lying and and it escalated and so on and so on and so on and obviously that to your dad was a massive thing whereas to me the massive thing was just him not telling me the truth that's all I was bothered about but I didn't realize that that was gonna cause him to then 
go outside, lock me in the house and get the hose pipe into the garage. But as soon as he did that, I knew what he was going to do. And it, it's almost like the comments he'd made before about going to take his life hit me and I realised. And I, we had double glazing in the whole house apart from the kitchen window. And I was throwing things at it to try and smash the window. And I couldn't, nothing would happen. So I phoned 999 and the fire engine, the ambulance, the police, you name it, everyone arrived. And luckily the policeman came along and, and saved him because he was in the car. And he afterwards obviously explained, he said he just kept thinking of his, his gran. And his gran had died, you know, a year or two before sort of thing. And I think, I think in hindsight, what happened was for him losing Tony when he was like, I don't know, 21, 22 or whatever. And then having sort of not grieved properly for it. And then his grand died. I think it, I think it was just a spiral of thoughts that took him down this route of where he went and he just couldn't control it. Do you think that obviously? Tony dying when he was young and being a, at the time his only sister, do you, do you think that was a big factor into why dad is the way dad is? Well, I mean, dad did have Sarah, but Sarah was obviously... So, like, you always say, don't you, got you your maternal parents. So, obviously, he lived with Tony. He grew yeah. up with her because they got the same mum, so slightly different to Sarah and Philip because, obviously, they didn't live with them and... He grew up with her and annoying little sister, as you know, as is. I mean, Tony, same age as me. But when he got older and that, she'd write him letters and, and he adored her and he loved her and he missed her. And I think he perhaps blamed himself for not noticing and not understanding what had happened to her. And I still believe to this day, even mm. though he's got a diagnosis now of BPD, which is to do with emotions and stuff, but I believe that. Your dad's been searching for answers for Tony. And I think he maybe went on a path of, and again, it's only me speculating, but on a path of trying to figure it all out. And and I have spoken to this about him, and he said maybe that he wanted to see what she was going through and how she was feeling. But obviously, there's got to be more to it than just that, because people who are of sane mind and and all the rest of it, and nothing's going off in your head, you wouldn't ordinarily think of anything like what Dad's thought about, because his thoughts are very dark and very gruesome. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, that I, d I don't know whether it was like that in the beginning, but this last episode now, it's been yeah very grim. Skip forward yeah. then to, obviously, you, you said 2015. It was good up until then, and then it started again in 2015. What was it that well, started so again? We moved uh, to Cornwall in 2013. And obviously, again, looking back, Dad kept saying to me, you're going to miss everyone, you're going to miss the people, you're going to miss Nottingham, da-da-da. And I was adamant. I'd miss people, but I would never miss Nottingham. I didn't want to live there anymore. I was bored. I'd had enough. And, but Dad kept saying it. And I think, actually, it was probably your Dad's thoughts more than mine. Because I'm not saying he doesn't like living here, because he does. But I think moving away affected him more than it did me. And so Dad had had a good seven, maybe eight years of being in pretty good health, mentally and physically. He wasn't smoking. He didn't really drink a great deal. 
where he didn't drink anything because, t- to be honest, after Dad tried to end his life the, the second time, we we took a pact to not drink, and I didn't drink either for, for his sake because I was so frightened because alcohol seemed to be like a, a main uh, driver in it sort of thing. But obviously when um, we moved here, yeah. he was fine. He was doing his running, he was doing his cycling. And then in 2015, he just, out of the blue, started to eat crap and started to talk negatively. And we'd gone out for a meal in St. Ives, which is obviously one of our favourite places. We'd renewed our wedding vows there in 2013. And we'd gone. It was actually his birthday. It was in the February 2015. And we went and he just said that he'd been thinking bad stuff again. So, of course, my, my guard hadn't slipped, but... It, my ears were like, okay, listen, listen to this. And we went to the doctors and he went on medication and it seemingly helped him. And then towards the end of 2015, he started to eat badly again, but the medication was increased and changed. And this kind of went on right, right the way through 2016. And then it wasn't until the end of 2016 when things were getting bad. Things were getting really bad. Um, I would ask him if he was okay and he would say stuff and uh, so the start of 2017 was, was when I found out that he'd been looking, searching on the internet for uh, ways to end his life the most gruesome way possible and obviously I've never seen anything like yeah. that and I was shocked and um it seemed to be from that moment on that dad just got worse. Once once I knew and once I, you know, when I, I banged on the bathroom door and screamed at him, what, what's all this? He just looked like a, a rabbit in headlights. He was just stunned, just stood there. And was that, do you, do you reckon that was because he knew, he knew that I think it's because it's cause he knew what, that what he I doing. knew exactly what he looked at and what he'd been thinking and I think he was relieved, but also scared what would happen. And then obviously it escalated further and further. I mean, the self-harm started. I mean, you know, when I talk mm. to people now about it, you know, when I've had conversations with family members who contacted me through Beyond the Yellow Brick Road, they... You know, they they talk about their experiences and it's literally, it's like a mirror image, but it's just that now I'm in my 40s and these younger people, you know, in their 20s, 30s or whatever, and they're talking about their partners and and it's just so sad because the thing is, you see, when, when all this started, I only knew how to react the way that I did. And so therefore... Nothing that I did was advice or any help from anyone. It was just deal with it sort of thing. And when the first time, it was bad enough, but Dad did only in that space of two months try to end his life twice. He never tried to end his life again as many times as he has this this time around. And the thing was that, and I forgot to mention it actually, because... So in 2016, we were at my friend's housewarming party and um, 
he disappeared and he'd had a lot to drink and he'd basically gone yeah. off um, into the woods, took his belt off and was about to hang himself. And luckily, one of our friends, he heard them shouting his name and he said it It just brought him back to reality, if you like. I've never been so upset and angry and everything all in one go. And it seemed to be that every time I had a good time, something would happen. So then I thought, I'm not allowed to have a good time anymore because if I do, I'm going to make him hurt himself. And he did say that he looked at me and he thought, well, she doesn't need me. She's happy. She don't need this. She don't need... And it's all just rubbish, really, but that's just what his thoughts do. And so for me, um, I was angry. And I remember, I think I just got black adrenaline and when he walked back up the hill and he had his belt in his hand I took his belt, I punched him, I kicked him, I screamed at him and I got the belt and I actually wrapped it around my own neck and I said shall we all have a go you know and then I literally I think I just collapsed on the floor because I was just I just don't even know what came over me I was just so I think I was just so shocked that it was happening again and I was distraught and frightened and I just knew that this was going to get worse. And it did. And obviously it did. It got very worse. I mean, he's he's done yeah. so many things to try and hurt himself. And even when I talk to my friends and say to them, when they say, so what actually happened then? I'll say, all sorts, you know. Tell him he's burnt his face with the iron all over. And he stuck his face in the, the stove. And he's used a cigarette lighter at the car all over his arms. It's scarred. And he's, you know, coming home in the middle of the night, not expecting me to be up. No reason for me to be up, but I woke up and he comes in and his, his neck's covered in blood because he's bought a Stanley knife and he sat at the bottom of the village trying to slit his throat, but not having the courage to. And he comes in and he's shouting, I'm a coward. I, 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 you know, and it's like, you're not a coward. Because God, you, you know, you, how can you be a coward? You, 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 you're here. You're still here. That's that's good. It's it's good. But obviously, again, I learned quickly that I had to react to things differently, and I had to be calm. But inside, I was scared, and I was crying, and I spent many times crying and lying on the bedroom floor in front of the door to stop him being able to get out, turning down, going out with my friends because I was too frightened of what would happen while I was out, just needing to know where he was all the time, which which that's not good for anybody because yeah. he doesn't want me to be, he wants to go and do his own thing. And, 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 it, and, and over the years, it has become very hard, very, very hard. One of the things you said that initially you didn't really know what his triggers were. You didn't know yeah. what what even a trigger was. What, what do you think? Alcohol. His triggers are now. Uh, relaxes him so that he um, it can either go two ways. He goes really silly and funny and laugh and joke and fall asleep and that's fine, or he starts to talk about how he's hates himself and he'll say I'm fat and he'll say all sorts of things about himself which are not true and he's just not very nice about himself um, or 
I could say something wrong to him. Like, for example, I could say, um, I'm trying to think of something that's happened recently. Um, yesterday or the day before, he sprayed Dash Dandy in his mouth when he'd had a drink. And obviously he was tipsy, he wasn't drunk drunk, but he'd had a drink. So I'd, I'd gone to bed because I said he'd come into bed and he, he wouldn't come to bed, so I thought I'm going to bed. Now, go back two, three years, there's no way I wouldn't have gone to bed. I'd have made him come to bed because I'd have been too frightened, but now I've learnt that I can't live like that, I can't keep doing that. I have to let him have the responsibility of doing the right thing. And it's hard and it's horrible and it makes me feel crap, yeah. but I've got to do it. And um, the girls came up and said, he's just sprayed dash dandy in his mouth. And that's that stuff you clean your dashboard in your car. But I didn't say anything to him. And then the next day yeah. I said, what did you do that for? And he went, I don't know. And he says, me and it. He says, you know what I'm like? I'm not normal. So he does weird things, weird things. And it can just be because I told him to do something. He doesn't want to be told anything. Don't tell me I can't drink. I mean, you've seen him before when I've said to him, I'm not going to the shop to buy any more alcohol. And the next minute, he won't talk to me for three weeks. Yeah. For the listener, last uh, Christmas, because I live up in Nottingham still, um, my parents live down in Cornwall, we rented a big house um, imbued in Cornwall, and we had an early Christmas. So there was me, Olivia and the kids, mum, dad, Kaylee, Beth, their partners and and they, all the family got together, and it, a yeah. similar sort of thing happened then, didn't it, Mum? We was all having a laugh, and then about mm. I think it was on the Wednesday, we were all having we we had, we had alcohol, we we all had a, a nice day, we had things planned out. Obviously, things didn't turn out the way we was expecting it to because of mm-hmm. issues with kids and picking them up and so on. But it could be anything from the kids going could be on his mind thinking I didn't want the kids to go I was enjoying that but then obviously so then he drinks more and he drinks more he drinks more yeah so then I get triggered if you like because then I'm panicking thinking we've got a house with a swimming pool and I know how his brain works he looks he actually told me he looks for things that he can hurt himself with and all I'm thinking is well there's a swimming pool there with a cover over it all he has to do is jump on it and he'll be shrink wrapped and he'll drown and I know it sounds really awful but that's how my brain works now because I see all the bad stuff around because I spent that long looking for it to try and protect him. You believe me when I've told you I've hidden any object that I could think of that he could have hurt himself with. And in a minute, I'll tell you I'll tell you a story about that because there's an irony in it all and hopefully for anyone listening, it'll make them understand that all this stuff that I'm saying now is, is actually not the right way to live. And this is the whole point of doing the family support and again this isn't your dad obviously knows that we're talking like this he knows all of this we're not saying anything that he isn't happy with or or doesn't you know doesn't acknowledge he knows about all this because it's his life to to be honest today i actually i was sat at olivia's mum's and i was quite shocked to see that dad had actually accepted my invite to to my podcast page um and, and to see it and for me to see that that yeah. that does support us yeah. me myself and you in what we do um because I, I think deep down dad does want our our experience and our yeah, journey to be able to help I mean, us as well i got him to go on the hospital radio and he was adamant he wasn't talking but when he got there he did talk because 
he does want people to understand and if ever he knows anyone at work and they've got any mental health issues happening or you know whatever's happening to them if he can help with them he will but you see the problem is and I say problem it's not really a problem because he can't help it but with with dad and and the way things happen the triggers you know I spent as I say I spent a long long time trying to talk in a certain way and and walk on the eggshells make sure I don't say this don't say that because you're going to upset him or you're going to say the wrong thing I learned actually I will always say things wrong because to me they're not wrong they're just normal things you would say and anybody else would brush them off or you'd have a row and then you'd make up but the way dad's emotion emotions are completely um, all over the place because he suffers with um, the um with BPD and and is all about emotional regulation and his is completely that's the biggest thing for him he cannot deal with emotions he can't deal with anything sad he switches off so if I'm upset and I need a hug he will kind of hug me but not like he used to because he's had to switch off from it and also he's got a cocktail of medication that dampens a lot of his thoughts and feelings because if he didn't he probably wouldn't be here um, I mean, he's on lithium and venlafaxine, which are two really, really strong drugs. Um, but I mean, the thing is with dad, when I've been asked this many times before, well, is he is he pretty lucid? Is he is he is he normal in between these episodes? And eighty percent of the time, your dad is normal. Well, whatever normal is, and there's no such thing as normal. But what whatever anyone wants to determine as being a a normal um, person without any um, irrational thoughts and all that kind of thing, then then dad's dad's like that eighty percent of the time, but twenty percent of the time yeah. he's not. And now it might sound like, well, what are you complaining for? What's the problem? That's only twenty percent, but twenty percent of somebody that's normally really happy and fun and lights the room up and all these things, that twenty percent is might as well be. 100% because it's it's hard and it's scary and it's sad and it's mostly sad for him because he doesn't want to be like it um, but you know I've become used to it now and I as I say I've changed and I've realised and I had, a, I had a, a lady message me she is 23 and she was experiencing the same sort of thing with her husband and I actually spoke to her on the telephone and she told me a story and it was literally like listening to dad in the beginning. And so I told her that obviously I only offer peer-to-peer support because I'm not trained in anything to do with mental health. It's just lived and shared experiences with my family, that's it. And so I said, so I'll tell you what I did and then I'll tell you now what I believe you should do now because... Not what she should do, but I what, what I am doing now that's different. And a couple of days later, she messaged me and she said, thank you, you've, you've changed my life. Because she was looking at it in a completely different way. And when I explained to her to change your mindset, to change your mindset, not his, because you can't change his, change yours and the way you view it and how you deal with it, it makes it easier for you. But then I said, but then again, you know, 
I didn't learn that until this last year or so, two years. And it's very hard to go from being someone who's very attentive and there all the time, keeping a check on them and making sure that they're safe to somebody that seems like they don't care anymore. Because I do care, I care a lot. But I know from my own sanity and for his sake, I have to allow him to make these decisions himself. And in fairness, it doesn't always work out well because sometimes then that can be another trigger that starts it off again. But obviously dad doesn't, he'll say you're being cruel to me and I'll say I'm not being cruel to you. I'm not being cruel. It's like yesterday I had a conversation with him about exercise and he's like, you're being mean to me. And I said, I'm not being mean to you, but look the other way around. When you were fit and running and everything, you'd say to me, come on, you can do it. Don't Stop moaning about it. You can do it. You can do it. And he said, yeah, well, that's different. I said, it's not different. I'm trying to encourage you. What do you want me to do? Sit there and say, oh, I know you, you can't do it, can you, because of X, Y, Z. Because that's not going to help him either, is it? Um, so sometimes I know full well that when I say something, to help him it's going to backfire and he's probably going to fall out with me but I know in the end he'll be all right and it's a bit of a weird way around but that's how it is um but um but I mentioned earlier again about the um the whole thing of hiding stuff I stopped doing that I've stopped stopping him drinking because I can't control him I don't want to control him he's got to do it himself I tell him I'll say to him do you not think you've had enough but he has to decide that himself and Hopefully he will. He, I think he, I think sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. It's it's varied. But I went to Amsterdam to Holland for work, and my boot of my car was full of um, uh, things that he could hang himself with, things he could cut himself with, burn himself, you name it, everything. Um, I had an iron in the boot of my car because at that point he hadn't used the oven, and I never thought about he'd physically stick his face on the oven. I mean, who who would even think about that, to be honest? I mean, even at that point, I didn't. Obviously, now I do, but my boot was full. And I remember sitting, waiting for my flight on my own, and I did a blog post, uh, and um, it said something along the lines of, um, should have took the cheese grater or something, because it turns out that when I was away, he used the cheese grater and scraped the skin off his face. Now, I'm sat in the airport doing this blog saying about all this stuff that I've got hidden in the boot of my car. Um, Because this this was before. So I I said about I'd got got a boot full of stuff trying to hide it to protect him. And if anybody come along, they'd think I was a terrorist. Why she got all this stuff? Um, And I was explaining it fear because I was going away and I was going to be in another country and I was worried. And then when I got there... Your uncle Philip had posted a photograph of your dad because he'd come to see him, and his face was all red. And I knew there was something wrong. And the girls didn't want to tell me because they said dad had said don't tell her, cause she'll panic. But he, yeah, he'd used the cheese grater. So then I did another blog, which was I should have took the cheese grater. And I know it sounds really stupid, and it it does make me laugh. But it's not because I'm laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I cannot believe that I stupidly thought that I could take everything away that he could hurt himself with because we live in Cornwall. There's clifftops all around us. There's bridges. I cannot do that. And so 
for anybody that's listening to this that has a loved one and they're absolutely petrified that they're gonna end their life all i can say is that when the doctors and the professionals tell you that there is nothing that you will ever be able to do to stop somebody it's horrible and it really annoys you it pees you off because you're thinking i will i know i can save him but you can't maybe not it's not so much be um seem like you're less caring because it's not but you kind of have to be cruel to be kind in a some kind of way but you've got to be kinder to yourself you know all the times i was just going to say all the times i've slept on the floor in front of the bedroom door to stop him from getting out I mean, he never got out anyway, and he still got up to go to the toilet, and he just got back in bed. But that was more about me and my fear, and it takes over, and that's what you've not got to let happen. It's very hard. It's very hard. It is hard, and, and although I know a lot of what what's going on, it's still hard for us all to talk about, and it's going to be. Well, one of the things, I think, what was it, about a year ago, year and a half ago, um, I, I had no idea about your blog. And then yeah. you, you sent me a link, and I was a bit, un- I didn't know what it was. I started it in um, 2016, actually, because I've been writing was... in books for a long time, just getting it out of my head. Because yeah. I realised that if I kept all the fears in my head, it made me feel bad. So I thought, well, if I write them down, then they're out of my head. And then someone said, why don't you do a blog? And I did a blog, but I never shared it with anybody because I was too embarrassed. Not not embarrassed of what the story was, but thinking, well, I'm no good at writing. I can't do that. And then I did share it. And people who I knew at work had seen it, but I'd never told anybody else about it. And then when I decided I was going to do the, the mental health page, I needed to be able to share the blog. So the first thing I had to do was to show you kids and to show your dad. And I believe dad's read some of it, but I yeah. don't know as he read it all. There were some blog posts that I wrote and never published because I knew that if I did, they would probably trigger your dad even more because they were quite upsetting because it was how I was feeling and how I was so scared. And dad wouldn't want me to be feeling a certain kind of way. And I, and I did, and I felt frightened and horrible and you know, just crying all the time and stuff. And you try to hide it because all your dad ever says is about being a burden and you're like, you're not a burden, you're not a burden. But then if they see that you're so upset, how can you convince them that they're not? And you know what I mean? And they're not, but you, you, you're only human and you, you're going to be upset and whatever. Yeah. Would you mind if shared a link yeah. out to it? So yeah. have a read for themselves because... I know when when you shared it to me, I, I started off, and I'm not I'm not the sort of person that reads much anyway. But when when I was reading through your blog, obviously there was there was even there was stuff in there that I, even I was I said to Olivia before I was. But like, you see, this is the no thing, Michael, because and, you and, know, you as open as we are as a family, you you don't want everyone to know every detail, and you don't want to share everything and you know you guys are all grown up you're all adults but doesn't stop you being our kids and 
you know, yes, you've grown up with dad being ill and you see the things that we can't stop you from seeing. But it was kind of like you don't really need to know all of that detail. And I still feel like that now. I'm 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 not a private person. You ask me a question, I'll answer you. But at the same time, I don't I just think to myself, we are a very open family, but the kids don't need to know everything because it, it's it, it's sometimes it just I suppose just trying to protect you really just like you'd protect your kids and it's just human nature I guess um but I mean I think I think that with the whole thing with that I mean because when he first was ill and you and Kaylee were only young um I had no choice but to be honest because he was in hospital and, and you had to go visit him and to try and explain to you know young kids that your dad has got um ill mental health um which obviously the way you described that has only changed recently because back then it was just that you know he's he'd got a mental illness and and to explain that that's what it was you don't know what it meant so it was kind of like you know daddy's in hospital he's he's not very well he's not feeling too great and we're going to take you to see him but there's going to be people on the ward that might be shouting and they might say stuff to you and just ignore them because you come to see daddy. Because even back then, I mean, they they didn't have a separate area for families to go with kids because I don't think many families took their kids to see their parents in places like that. Now, we were a very close family. We still are a close family. And we couldn't have just had your dad go in hospital and then he never sees the kids and he never sees me or anything because that would be even worse than ever. And when when we moved to Cornwall and then he ended up in the hospital in Butman, I mean, I don't want to criticise the NHS because they do everything they can. And even like now with this virus and everything, they're, they're doing amazing stuff. But the mental health system is absolutely shocking. And I was disgusted to, to even see that they're still doing the same practices now 22 years later and it's like hang on a minute mental illness is just becoming the norm you know we all have mental health but there's more people out there that have got ill mental health than have got well mental health and it's like you know you you, you look after people with cancer and heart disease and you know if someone's broken their leg they go to the hospital they get a cast mental health you've got to go on a bloody waiting list but at that moment, when you're ill then, that's when you need to be seen. But you can't. You've got to wait. Yeah. And then trying to explain to them, you know, that he'd already got social anxiety. But now he's got to sit in a, in a common room with everybody else and sing Kumbaya and all that crap. And it's like, this is ridiculous. It's not what he wanted to do. You know, he'd come into hospital with one thing happening to him, suicidal. And then you're trying to make him have more stresses and pressures because... You've got a protocol to follow and you've got this textbook that you've learnt. This is how you take care of people who have a, a mental illness. Well, actually, no, you don't, because it's 2020. And in 1950, the mental health system has got nothing in common with today's modern life. Um, and it really grinds my gears. It really does, because I just hate it. As soon as my Yellow Brick Road page went out there, I was inundated with people who were ill and I had to say to them in the end, I can point you in the direction of 
this group, that group, because they will specifically look after you because I'm doing this to help the family members. Because the logic to me is, okay, so the way it works now is you go to your GP and your GP says to you, right, okay, you're not feeling too good. Well, we could try you on some medication, see how you feel with that. And a lot of people will try medication and then they'll go away and they'll feel a bit better from it and that's fine. But then there'll be the ones that escalate and the medication doesn't work and it escalates and then they may self-harm or they may attempt to take their life. Um, and then obviously then they go, well, we'll refer you. If you've tried to take your life um, or to end your life because, you know, whatever, however, whatever terms people want to use is, the bottom line is, that person that's ill, they're suicidal, their aim in their head is to not be here anymore because they don't want to be. They do want to be, but they don't because of how they feel inside. Um, and they feel there's no other option. So they go off and uh, hurt, try to hurt themselves. Now, if they try to hurt themselves, but it's then escalated to the hospital, the hospital will then assess them and say, you could go home and you can just see an out-of-hours team. So then they let that person go that 35, 40 minutes ago walked into the building and you were protecting them. But because there's no scars, there's no blood, there's no physical evidence to show, they just pop down the list. Whereas if you go and you've jumped off something and you've broken a load of stuff and you're in a real bad way, but you're still going to survive because you're one of the one of the... I say lucky, but you're not lucky because you've hurt yourself so badly, but you are still alive. Then they take it a little bit more serious. But everyone I've spoken to who's been in that situation, they've said the same thing. It's rubbish. It's not helpful. And that's not because the nurses and the doctors are not good at their job. It's because of the bit in between from the person being ill to them being seen by the correct people is too long. It's a postcode lottery around the country. Um, Nottingham. Nottingham were great for getting Matthew seen quick, but the quality of the doctors and nurses that were doing the psychiatrists and all that kind of thing then was not as good as what it is down here now. So we've got amazing doctors and nurses down here, but there's not enough of them. So that means that the waiting lists are too long and they, they're stretched. They're stretched beyond belief. So again, it's not their fault they're trying to do. And so I spoke to Colonel Kieras and asked them, is there anybody that I can speak to so I can support my husband? And they said no. And the guy there was, you know, he says, he says it's horrible. He says, because we're just trying to do our job, but, you know, there's not enough resources. And it's horrible when you've got to tell people that we don't have anything to help you with, we can't do anything. And it's scary because how many people will have died waiting for therapy, for example. Um, I mean, I read a, an article that was from the Times newspaper, and I think it's got to be seven years ago now. And, uh, and, and at the time it said, people, the headline was, people wait, people die waiting for therapy. Mental health system is in dire need of cash injection or something like that. And it's no different now. It's no different now. Yeah, everywhere you look, there's people doing stuff to do with mental health. But when you look at it, it's individuals like us. 
we don't have money. If I won the lottery, I would gladly put money into it, you know, because it, it's, it's, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, 100%. mental health is something that every single one of us has. And even if you sit there and you're listening to this and you think, well, I don't suffer from this, that and the other, and I don't have this. But things happen in your life. Things happen out of the blue and can change things. Your mental health can be flipped upside down by anything from having a car crash to losing a parent. Grief can bring on serious mental health problems. You know, um, there's so many illnesses that fall under the mental health, ill mental health umbrella. It's not just depression because that's what they say. Oh, you've just got a bit of depression. There's no such thing as you've just got a bit of depression. Yes, some people can be at the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to what their um, mental health is like. But some people also are normally the ones that you think are the happiest and the smiliest and the funnest. They're the ones that are suffering the most. Look at your Robin Williams. Look at your, uh, what's his name, uh, Vern, you know, the uh, Vern Troyer, you know. All these people... They're famous people, but I'm just trying to use it as an example because there will be lots of people, unnamed people, that will have ended their lives. It's not necessarily the people that are looking like they are in a bad place um, because it's not always that way. Um, and and I think, as I say, with, with learning uh, as I've got older with dad's illness that asking the questions that aren't just are you okay you know and and ask open questions that need a little bit more and don't and don't take the first answer i mean your dad's i'm fine i'm fine normally three or four times after that then turns out to be no i'm not fine i'm actually thinking of doing something bad to myself blah 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 because it's very difficult yeah. You would you would think that it's easy to just tell the person that you love that you feel that you know that that you you don't want to be here anymore. But realistically, it's not because you're admitting to somebody that you love that potentially you want to leave them. Now you don't want to leave them, but that's what you're kind of saying, you know. And and then you and you know that you're then going to be said. But I love you and I don't want you to leave me and I, I don't want anything to happen to you. What can I do? And then the guilt kicks in even more. And your dad has said to me many times before when Nana and Grandad has said things like, but you, what about Lisa and the kids? And he said, do you not think that that I don't want to leave them? It's nothing to do with them. It's in my head. It's how I feel. And he said, and the more that people say stuff like that, the harder it is because then you feel more guilty yeah. and it goes round and round and round and round. Well, the, the amount of times that dad, dad said to all of us that he, he, he's sorry for being the way he is, but obviously we know, we know that he doesn't want to be like that. And he said it himself that it, it, he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to not be here. It, it's, it's just, his head, it's all in, it's in his head. It's it is his Ill, Ill mental health, but yeah, there's only, there's only so much that we can do. And as 
as, as horrible as it sounds, there is nothing technically that we can do apart from be there for him. Exactly. And 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 by being there for him, it doesn't mean that we have to compromise our own lives either, which is something that I just thought that that's how it was. And, and actually, you know, all the times when I think about when Dad's just said, you know, I just want to go to bed and go to sleep, you go out and do something with the kids. And then I'd go, no, I'm not going anywhere, I'm staying here, because I'd then be panicking inside, thinking, God, if we go, we're going to come back and he's going to avert himself. And actually... Yeah, he could have done, and you know, and he may well have done, but in actual fact, it didn't stop him from then going and attempting it the next time when he was on his own. And he has to go to work, and he's going to have incidents when he's on his own. So, you 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 do all of these things thinking that it's going to protect him, and you know, he's not going to die, and this that and the other, but. It's like your dad's explained. When his impulsive behaviour is at his highest, it's not it's not like he sits there and thinks, Right, I'm going to do this now. He says it just comes from nowhere and it takes over. And there will be people who have a different way of it coming out in them, so they they will mull over it a, a long period of time and plan it and 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 try to make sure that they, you know, carry it through and whatever. But from your dad's um, way of how he thinks about it, it's it's more of he's constantly thinking about suicide. Mm. But now because the medication works, it dampens it. It doesn't really escalate. But it could because he could be really angry and something could really trigger him. I mean, today he's he's angry at work. And you know what your dad's like. He's normally going to go back to the yard and wash the truck and do all the proper stuff he's supposed to do. But today, he's no, I'm just coming home because he's annoyed. And it can be the simplest of things that can can make him annoyed. Things, yeah. things that wouldn't affect me or you. Um, but this is where we have to then understand that. Now, that doesn't mean that your dad can't just be... I don't know. He could do something that you could say, well, it's because he's got he's got BPD. BPD isn't to blame for every single thing that happens. Sometimes your dad can just be in a mood because we all can. We can all have our off days. You know, it doesn't always mean that it's to do with his mental health. It can just be that he's angry or annoyed at something. You know, it doesn't mean that everything has to be... Um, written off as as being part of his illness and again i never thought like that i just thought it's it's all because he's ill it's all because he's ill and trying to figure out what's to do with his illness and what's not isn't bloody hard god it's really hard because you don't know and again you can think it's to do with his illness and then it's not and vice versa and then it causes more problems um I think I think the biggest thing for us is that we've we talk about it and yeah and you know for anyone who might be listening who has a dad or a husband or a wife brother sister whatever the relationship is and they 
have any form of ill mental health or BPD as it may be you know it might be you're listening you're thinking well it doesn't quite work like that for us it won't because everybody's different and it's all about getting used to what's right for you and your family and how you deal with it um going back to what I was talking about before about the resources and such like I'm a firm believer that while we have the situation where there isn't uh, enough, the waiting times are too long and there isn't enough support between, if the families of the people who are ill are supportive and guided, are supported themselves and guided and looked after and know how to live and deal with their loved one's illness... And, yeah. and they know what to look out for and do, then surely that's helping the NHS between because you're keeping them out of hospital, but you're looking after them and you're doing the best you can for them. But the problem with that then is that what about those people that don't have the families, that don't have the support? Where do they go and what do they do? And it's a minefield. It's a minefield. And so with Beyond the Elibit Road, for me... It's about getting people to talk to each other and share their experiences. Not necessarily just talk to myself or you, just talk to each other. Um, Somebody's looking at setting up a website for me where there'll be a proper uh, chat forum. So people can come on and say, I just need someone to talk to. I've had a really bad day today. Um, My son, daughter, whoever it is is having a really um, bad episode at the minute. Uh, I'm fearful. Or what, whatever it could be. Is yeah. there anyone to talk to? doesn't matter where they are in the UK and worldwide if need be, but the UK is the main focus because this is where we don't have this kind of support. And somewhere for people to go and talk to each other and make friends with other families who know what they're going through so a little bit like when you think of the families of children who are terminally ill and they have the hospices they go to they um can basically they make friends with the other families and they share their experiences and shared experiences sometimes help a lot more than talking to a professional because you know the professionals it's all textbooks whereas when it's people's experiences it's genuine it's really what's happened it's not just because they've read it out of a book and that yeah. is is sometimes more beneficial i found it to be i mean since i've done this and spoken to people who've got partners with bpd um i've met somebody who has a wife that's got bpd and it's been really helpful to me because although her symptoms different to what dad's symptoms are i can relate to how it feels to have someone you love behave a certain way um and and just things like that it's just nice to have somebody else who knows and you know so this is why like your dad's on lots of pages and forums and whatever on facebook with people who've got bpd and you know he'll often comment on something to them or whatever and because he knows what it's like and like i said to you the p 
people at work, you know, if ever he sees anyone or knows anyone that's struggling, he'll he'll go out of his way to have a chat with them because, again, he knows what it's like. He's very open yeah. about his, his illness. He hates the fact he's ill and sometimes he won't agree that he's ill and we have all sorts of things where he won't take his tablets and all things happen, but it's, it is how it is and it's not going to ever go away. So we have to learn to live with it. Uh, yeah, we, we do, and it's it, it's one of them things that we're all there for each other. We talk about it, and, and like we say, uh, it it's it, it's one of them things that we deal with as a family and yeah. not on our own. Yeah. And b- before we before we finish, then obviously beyond the Ellerick Road, yeah. um, why that name? So. Basically, what happened was in August, September last year, I went um, and did a personal development day for myself because I've never been a particularly confident person. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be trying to help people, I need to be a little bit braver and I need to um, sort of just do something for me. So I went uh, to Blackpool um, from Cornwall. And um, it's quite funny, really, because obviously this didn't happen until I came home. But the easiest way for me to explain it is so I'd, while I was away, when I came back, everything came together. So it all fell into place. So what fell into place was the fact that I'd left Kansas, which was Cornwall, where everything was black and white and very sad and uh a whirlwind like a tornado with dad being ill and everything and I went to um, Kansas which was bright lights Blackpool and I went to the I went from Kansas to the Emerald City should I say and um, bright lights and everyone's laughing and joking and having fun and I sat and watched this chap um, on stage um, called Brad Burton and a lot of other guys doing inspirational talks about where they'd come from, their journeys, and how life had thrown lots of crap at them and how they turned it around. And um, I had a couple of moments of the penny drop. So there was a slide that came up saying, simply, um, fun. And I started to cry because I thought I wasn't having any fun anymore because I was so consumed with worry and fear of dad taking his life and not being there anymore that it take it had taken over and then that meant that I'd taken over and I was taking over dad and saying you couldn't do this you couldn't do that because I was too scared of what would happen and then um, another slide came up and it was uh, simply Brad and his older son and it just said you can't fix everyone because he was having trouble with his son and he wanted to help him and fix him and he he felt that he couldn't and I just thought that's what I've been trying to do I've been trying to fix your dad but I can't fix him I've just got to learn to live with it so when I came back uh, me and Bethany watched uh, the uh, Elton John film um, Rocket Man and uh, obviously my page had been called uh, the Family Mental Health Support UK which was more of a strap line to what it was and it was a bit of a mouthful Anyway, we were watching um, 
the uh, the film and uh, the song came on and it's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and the words in there was um, uh, basically um, I finally found that my future lies beyond the Yellow Brick Road and it still gives me goosebumps now, bumps now because I thought to myself that's cool that is because that's kind of how I feel and because I'd gone on this journey to bring myself back you know going to go back out there and do my networking job and be more powerful and more confident <laughs> decided to get some red shoes yeah. so I really was like Dorothy returning <laughs> with my red shoes <laughs> and I did the networking thing and everyone laughed because they were like wow Lisa you're a changed person and um anyway I got talking to this chap and I said to him you know I'll do some branding and I said I'm just struggling what to call the the thing and and um and we were chatting and he says, is there anything you can think of? And I said, he says, cause he says, cause you've come back and you've spoke about the red shoes and you feel like, because also again, it all ties together because when I go back to March, when I first went back out doing the networking after dad had been ill, I'd been working behind my desk for best part two years, three years. Cause I was too frightened to leave him on his own. And um, the, <laughs> the, um, the funny thing was I felt like, getting back out there and networking these people they were they were the the scarecrow so in the film she meets the scarecrow the scarecrow's got no brain well I felt like that I had no brain I felt like my brain was all dark and consumed with illness to do with mental health and all of that and death and fear and all these people I met networking they kind of helped me fix my brain and gave me something else to focus on. I was talking to businesses and I was having different conversations that weren't all dark. And then a bit further along, I then um, uh, make some friends with a lot of ladies who became really good friends. And whilst my heart's always going to be broken because dad's never going to be 100% fixed, and I know that, and I have to accept that, that they kind of mended my heart a little bit and made me feel that you know it is possible to be still feeling happy and stuff like that even though you've got all this going on and then lastly going to Blackpool and um, going and meeting a load of strangers that I'd never met before I've never done anything like that in my life I got the courage I got the courage to come back and be stronger and braver and at the end of that there was the wizard and Brad in essence for me was the wizard because he was the man that stood there and in the film the wizard of oz the wizard doesn't tell dorothy anything she doesn't already know he's just basically been there all along for this whole story to unfold that and that's how i felt so when i was sat talking to the guy doing the branding for me and i said to him i kind of like beyond the uh Good Bright Yellow Brick Road from um, Elton John. And I said, I just like the lyrics. And I said it to him. And he went, oh, let's just have a look and see what the domain, the, what the domain cost is for Beyond the Yellow Brick Road. And he says, blimey, beyondtheyellowbrickroad.com, it's £2,000. And I said, no, can't afford that. But beyondtheyellowbrickroad.co.uk, which is obviously what my website would be, um, was 99p. So I said to him, it's like it's meant to be because A, I can afford it and B, it fits in with the whole story of what I believe and beyond the Yellow Brick Road for me is 
trying to say to the families that whilst you're on this journey of the yellow brick road with all its twists and turns and things happening to scare you, you know, beyond that, there is a future for all of you. And, yeah, there will be some people that unfortunately don't make it out the other side, and that is really sad, and there's nothing that, you know, I wrap my brains thinking about that. There's nothing that I or anyone else can do about that. But if we all stick together and we focus on trying to be the best that we can um, to support our loved ones without compromising ourselves, then it doesn't mean that your journey can't go beyond that and it can't be happy and it can't involve fun and laughter and all of those things because the problem is if you allow yourself to be consumed with your loved one's um, ill mental health, then you're going to end up ill. And actually all the times that everyone said to me, look after yourself, Lisa, look after yourself, and I'd go, no, I'm not important. I've realised now that I'm important because... As your dad said many times, yeah, your dad said many times, if if I wasn't here, then he wouldn't be here. So, but it is, it's very hard. And for anyone that's listening, you, all you have to do is be the best person you can, but talk to others. Don't just keep it all to yourself. I mean, just because you're supposed to be the strong one that's looking after somebody else. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to not be strong because it really is okay to not be okay, no matter who you are, whether you're the person that's suffering with ill mental health or whether you're the person looking after somebody in that situation. And don't be frightened to stand your ground either. You know, if people want to keep referring to you as the carer, don't be afraid to say, no, I'm the wife, I'm the husband, I'm the brother, the sister. Because the label carer, you know, you're, we, we're, we're not carers in the sense of, you know, this we're doing this to get paid for it or whatever. We're doing this because they're our family and we love them. And, you know, don't, don't be bullied or made to feel like your situation is worse or not, you know, better than anyone else's or worse or whatever. While you're living in your situation, yeah. no matter what it is, your situation, scary at that time, will be the worst thing that's happening to you in your life. doesn't matter if somebody down the road has it worse. We all know there's always somebody worse off for us, but don't feel guilty because your situation for you living right at that moment will be the worst for you, and it's fine. Um, but, yeah, it is. it is what it is, and, you know... I suppose as time goes on, things will be up and down like a yo-yo. Um, but we just crack on with it, don't we? And we, we have to we, we have to remember that the person in all of this that really has it the hardest is your dad. Because I guarantee mm-hmm. if he could choose to not be like this, then he definitely would choose to not be like this. Because I remember your dad before he was ill. And he probably already had things going off and just didn't talk about them. But your dad, before he was ill and the periods of time when he's been quite good, he's a very different person. And um, and it's quite sad, really. It's just that he needs to 
realise he's still that person in there and he's just got to find himself. Um, he's When he's like that, I remember Dad being when we, were, when we were, at the time, like doing the stupid stuff yeah. at parties, jumping yeah. in the pool. But you like see, that. all of those things were all part of his illness. It's just that we didn't know. Because that's the other end of it, you see. It's um, the extreme highs come with extreme lows and, yeah. But, yeah, it is what it is, mate, isn't it? (laughs) It is. So, one last thing then, obviously, with with your page, um, Beyond the Olivet Road, what's your aim with it? Where where are you hoping it goes as a group in in the future? I need to find some people who are going to help me run it because I can't do it all on my own because A I can't be on there 24 7 because obviously I work and such like and for people once the chap does do the website for me um, it will need to have administrators and things like that um, I would like to look into it being um, a, a CIC or a charity um, I've talked to a few people and there's I get different uh, views on what way I should go with it but ultimately down the line I just think that there is there is a massive uh, hole in the system when it comes to mental health support for a family and now I know that Mind and lots of others have a website that is for the person that's ill and then it has family info on well I want mine to be different I want mine to be for the families um with lots of help and guidance because one of the things that happened when your dad was ill you just get the doctor scribble a website on or a book to look at or go google it and I googled and I bought books and they were all irrelevant and nothing to do with what your dad had and I think that it's very important for the family members to be able to go and look up and find out the proper bona fide information about what their illness is and, and get the facts yeah. rather than go on Google when, you know, when you've just been told someone you love or care about is has got something that sounds like, God, that sounds horrific. What's that? Let's go and have a look. And then you Google it and you come up with millions of pages. Some of them are written by people who have no experience and they've got no right to be telling people info right through and but but again they could just be trying to be helpful because there's nothing there that you know they're trying to do the best but you need you need to be able to get the right info and you know the people themselves you imagine how many go to the doctors on their own without family to get told to go on the internet or look up look it up or whatever are they really going to look and read all that when they're in such a vulnerable state no so i just wanted it to be I suppose what Macmillan is to cancer in the long run, it would be great and it would be amazing to have it grow so that we could raise money and we could um, offer all different support from, you know, we lost our home because money, um, you know, we had to go into social housing and there's, there's just lots of things that affected us and I just want all the things that affected us that I know that we could look at doing to help others so that they don't have to have the same struggle, and that's that's in a nutshell. I wish I ha- I wish I had money. I wish I was rich, and because I would dedicate everything to to doing this because I'm passionate about it. And I get very annoyed even now when people say you shouldn't talk about mental health. People don't want to hear it. 
And for a time, I did stop talking about it because I thought, really, they don't want to hear? But then I thought, you know what? You can sod off. I'm not going to stop talking about it because the whole point about ending the stigma is talking about it. And it's okay, you know, you get the royal family doing their things and that and the other, and that's great. Let's get people out there, famous people promoting stuff because it gets the people talking. But why don't we get the real people, the real people that are the ones that are struggling, get them to be involved, let them have say what's happening, let them, let their families talk, you know, because it's like anything it's like with this with this covid-19 you know you know we've all probably met someone now or know someone that's had it or died from it or whatever and and it and it's sad and it's horrible and everything but you only ever hear you have hearsay all the time of what stuff's really like to do with it and it's the same with the mental health stuff really we only have hearsay of what these things are like and i didn't know what bpd was until your dad got it and then i researched it never heard of it but that's life we're not all going to be able to know what every single illness is and every single mental illness is but people need to access the correct information and that's that's the biggest thing for me support for them to talk to others in their situation 24 7 and and having group meetups as well you know we in different areas I mean, I did have a chap contact me from somewhere up in Hartlepool, I think it was, saying, do I do, I do a, a meeting in their area? And I thought, God, I wish I did, because people are asking for this, you know? So, yeah, that would be, oh. that would be the dream. Well, I'm sure when Dad will listen to this, um, he, he, he knows how much we care, and we do love you, Dad, yeah. we all do. Um, a mum, I'm, I'm proud of you. Oh, uh, I love you too, Thanks for coming on and talking That's to everybody. Right. And keep doing from what your you're doing and just keep talking to people. And um, thank you.